1868, that first service preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown, May 24, 1970. The text is Acts, the fourth chapter, the 37th through the 47th verses. In the great second chapter of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, we have the account of what took place on that first Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost was last Sunday in the ecclesiastical calendar of the church, and at the end of this second chapter we have the conclusion of what took place at that first worship service. And because the sermon today is dealing with that first service, we shall begin reading at the 37th verse of that great chapter in Acts. Now when the congregation heard what Peter had to say, they were cut to the heart. And they said to him and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other words and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and goods and distributed them to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they partook of food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. As already mentioned, this particular passage of Scripture tells the conclusion of a worship service that took place many centuries ago. A worship service that is memorable for several reasons. First of all, it was the first Christian worship service ever held. Secondly, something happened in this worship service that had never, ever happened before when people gathered to worship. And thirdly, this phenomenon was that God, who created this world, the sun, the moon, the stars, the leaves, man, was the same God who came down in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem of Judea. It was at that first worship service in Jerusalem that God chose to reveal unto people what theology calls the third person of his identity or of his personality, 
the Holy Spirit. It was in that worship service that God chose the moment to reveal unto mankind the form of himself working in the world, working in our world today. So this is why it is, is such a significant day. Yet it's very difficult for us to know all that there is to know about this Holy Spirit. We would have to be God to be able to understand him. The Bible really doesn't tell us too much about this Holy Spirit except that it exists. What we do know about Pentecost or the day that the Holy Spirit was revealed unto mankind, we don't understand what we know. All we know was that in some miraculous way, and here the historian Dr. Luke speaks of it happening as with tongues of fire above people's heads, strong winds blowing, people speaking languages that they had never learned. We, we just don't know too much about how this Holy Spirit operates, but we do know that it was in a worship service, a worship service just like this that God chose to reveal that power and that presence of himself under the world for the first time. So therefore, it seems to me, when speaking about Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit, we must not forget that other ingredient which was necessary to make God's Spirit known in the world, the congregation. Sometimes I think... In talking about the Holy Spirit, we're so interested in stressing the importance of it that we forget the importance of the response of the congregation that was there on that first worship service. It was very important. And I think one of the most important things that any church can do today is to go back and trace in the annals of history what happened on that first day. Because, you see, we just don't seem to have the power, the presence that they had on that first worship service. So let's look at that congregation and let us see where we are like them and perhaps where we are not like them. And the first thing we see is that on that day when the Holy Spirit came, the Bible is very distinct in saying that all the people were gathered together. Not 10%, not 20%, not 80%, 100%. All of the people who had known Jesus, who claimed to be followers of the Master, they were there in that worship service. You know, every time I read that passage, I often wonder what had happened or would have happened if, say, Peter, James, and John had slept in that morning. I wondered if the Holy Spirit would have come, or would have come as effectively as it did, if some of the followers of Christ had not been there that morning. Now that's a hypothetical question. We, we don't know. And granted, many of you will repeat unto me that passage from the Bible, that wherever two or three are gathered together in Christ's name, he is there in the midst of us. And yes, that is right. That's Bible. But remember, the Bible also says that the Holy Spirit came unto a people when they were all together. 
You know, we don't talk much about church attendance anymore. It's not in vogue. Always because when we talk about church attendance, we're talking to the wrong people because they're here, you're here. The people who are not here, they, they don't hear us because they're not here. But I think we better start doing something about helping our fellow disciples to get out to worship. Because, you know, that may just be one of the reasons why God appears to be dead and why his Holy Spirit seems to be so ineffective into the problems of our world. It may be, you know, that just not enough of us are here. I'm sure some of those disciples did not want to be there that day. I'm sure many of them felt that they had other things more important than to spend that day in worship. I'm sure some of those disciples arose that morning with a headache or an upset stomach and would far rather have stayed in bed. But they didn't. They were there. Knowing those disciples as the Bible tells us about them, I'm sure some of them were out partying the Saturday night before. And they probably didn't mean, <laughs> didn't like the privilege that was theirs to meet people or God the next day. But they were there. They were all there, the Bible says. And why? Because I think they felt that they should be there. I know today is a day when we are told that everybody should do whatever he wants to do and he should not feel inhibited in any way of doing something just because he feels he should do it. But I'm sure some of them felt that was where they were supposed to be and, and they were there. Some were there because they felt that's what God wanted them to do. But I think the majority of them were there because they really expected something to happen that day. Remember Christ, before he ascended into heaven, ten days before, said, go back and wait. And, and I'm going to come to you in a way that I have never come to you before. I'm going to speak to you in a way that I've never spoken to you before. I'm going to be able to give you a power that, that you've never had before. And those people gathered together because they did not want to miss that unexpected thing that they were expecting to come into their lives. Now, they didn't know what it was, and when it did happen, it was not what they expected to happen, but it happened. And they were there, and they just did not want to miss out on it because they knew if they were not there, they would not have the privilege of seeing God in this new form, speaking with this new voice, acting with this new action, touching them in a new way that he had never done before. They knew that they would miss that, and I'm sure some of them knew that if they were not there, perhaps they themselves, by their absence, would prohibit God from acting in the life of somebody else. They expected something to happen, and they came because of that. Today, we are a part of a worship service comprised of approximately 40% of this church's membership. What are the other 60%? I'm sure some are home ill. And the reason that they cannot be here is just that they're, they're too sick 
to be here. Perhaps they're worshiping through the radio. There are some I know who are away. And I would like to think that they are worshiping in some congregation today just as they would be worshiping if they were here. But I'm afraid many of those people out there, the reason they're not here is that they just didn't expect anything to happen, so why come? Worship is to express gratitude unto God for what he has given us, but they feel they can do that at home, and, and they, they just didn't feel that anything important was going to happen here, and if they were absent, they weren't going to miss a thing. So they just haven't come. And yet many of them will be the people who will be wondering why God does not move in a more violent, dramatic way in his world today. And though I don't mean to be too hard on these people, I think I'm being actual and very factual when I say in a way, they just don't care. They're really not too concerned whether or not the word of God and the power of God's action gets to this congregation and to the world through the people of this community. They really are not thinking about perhaps the possibility that they may be prohibiting someone from knowing God's word and God's truth by their absence here today. You see, that happens. All the time I get either letters or comments from people, members of this congregation, strangers, people who stop by and who say that from the congregational singing or from the work of this great choir or perhaps from the, the inspiration of something that has been said, they met God here in a way that they had never met him before. They heard him speak in a way that they had never heard him speak before. They found him in their hearts in a way that they had never found him before. Now, do you realize they would have not heard God, seen God, or felt God if it had not been for God's Holy Spirit and you and me? If you had not been here that day singing those great hymns, if this great choir had not worked so hard to bring forth a glorious anthem as, as they do on su every Sunday, if John or I, if, if we had not been preaching, where somebody had been up in this pulpit. You see, they would have missed God. They would have missed the power of God's Spirit working through this congregation. I don't mean to be sacrilegious or irreverent, but if, if you're tempted to stay in bed or stay away from this worship service, remember this testimony, people, of your preacher, your pastor. I can't preach without you people. I can't do it. And God's Holy Spirit can't work through me if you're not here in a worship service. Just remember that. The next time you think that you want to join the large, silent majority of this congregation that doesn't think anything's going to happen within the walls of Bakerstown Church. The Holy Spirit came. And I think maybe one of the reasons why God chose that woman was because all of the people, all of the people were there.
The Holy Spirit came. And I think one of the reasons why it was to come so powerfully and effectively was because at least one man in that congregation knew his Bible. You see, things happened in that worship service that never happened before. These people expected something to happen, and something did happen, but it had never happened before. And by the way, it's never happened since. There was wind, there was fire, people speaking in all sorts of tongues. Nothing like this had ever happened before or since. And the people were running around individually asking each other the most relevant question that anyone can ask. What does this mean? What does this mean? Some people shook their heads. Other people said they're drunk. But because one man knew his Bible, one man who was a fisherman by trade had spent numerous, numerous hours studying Bible, he was able to bring a biblical interpretation to what was happening in their very midst. Because this man, you see, had, had immersed himself within God's Word, had used hour after hour to study and to memorize and to find the concepts of the biblical narrative, he was able to take the book of Joel, which he knew, and to take a part of the Psalm of David, which he knew, and to bring them together in correlation and to realize that what was happening was something that God predicted in his word would happen. Do you ever think what might have happened at Pentecost if Peter or, or some other man who knew his Bible had not been there? There would have been no Pentecost in the Christian tradition. Maybe the Holy Spirit would have come and nobody would have known it. If Peter or someone like him who knew his Bible had not been there, I'll tell you what would have happened. The same thing that is happening in congregations all over America today where preachers, teachers, and people are trying to interpret the meaning of current events without knowledge of the biblical narrative. And it's happening, people, and that's why the church is in trouble today. Let's not give the communists all the, all the rewards and all the credit. The reason that today Christ Church is shattered here in America and separated is because many people who know the Word of God are trying to interpret the activities that are going on in God's history today in a biblical way, and many people are rejecting it. God is not asleep. God is not a dead. He's not even taking a nap. He's not even on vacation. He's working just as he worked through the ancient Israelites through the people of the Christian community of the first centuries. But you see, many of us don't see that. And the reason we don't see it is because we have not acquainted ourselves with how God has worked in the past and how God has worked in the midst of revolutions. And consequently, we cannot see the hand of God's judgment and grace on America today. And we're in trouble. We're in trouble. I don't mean to keep hammering away at this point. But the other night when the Bethel students at this church were together with other Bethel students and we heard the author and, and the founder of the Bethel series speak, he brought 
forth the point that I've made from this pulpit many, many times, namely that the average person sitting in a church pew today in America has the biblical understanding of a 12 or 13 year old youth. And folks, that is not enough of a biblical understanding to be able to understand how God works. You people would never think of going to a doctor who had only the medical knowledge of a 13-year-old child. We would never allow one spaceship to leave Cape Canaveral or Kennedy if it had been built by someone who had only the aeronautical knowledge of a 13-year-old boy. You see, it's an impossibility for God or for man to be able to speak to the problems and to face the revolutions which we are facing in America today, to be the people of God and to be the voice of God when the people have only a 13-year-old knowledge of how God operates. You can't do it. This is why, you see, Mr. Wiley is working very hard with many of you who are teachers in our church school and demanding so much out of you and taking you to all types of meetings. It's so that you can be prepared in being able to teach this new Christian faith and action material that is coming into our church because we feel we've got to have something new to try and catch up in giving biblical knowledge to the people in the pew. This is why so many of us are working so hard in the Bethel series. Because, you see, we've come to the conclusion it's time not for us just to build buildings and programs, but we've got to bring people's biblical understanding to the point of being literate. That's why in this church the number one priority of this ministry is given over to helping our people to understand Bible. And yes, there are going to be some other things that slip, things that we think are not nearly as important, because if we ever become guilty of robbing you people of knowing the biblical narrative, we have not only robbed you of one of the greatest joys you may have in life, but we have robbed the Holy Spirit, and that is the only unpardonable sin that the Bible mentions. And we're not going to be guilty of it. Uh, the Holy Spirit came. And one of the reasons it came and people knew it came was because, you see, at least one man, one man, knew his Bible and was able to interpret co correctly from a biblical understanding of what was happening in Jerusalem that day. The Holy Spirit came the world knew it because some individuals allowed their hearts to be touched and their lives changed. Do you realize that if some individual had not been there, if some individuals had not heard Peter's interpretation of what God was doing that day, if some people had not allowed themselves to listen to the heartstrings of their, of their hearts. If some people had not been willing to say, what 
must we do, and then change in their processes of thinking and in their everyday action. You realize, if these people had not done this, today we would never have known about the Holy Spirit. We know about the Holy Spirit, and we think Pentecost is one of the most important days in the church's year, because people at that first service responded to this activity of God in the third person of his Godhead. Now this is a very important thing, because you see, I'm afraid many people, including preachers, come to church with the idea that really nothing's going to happen, and if anything does happen, it certainly will not be to change my mind or my life. How many of you came here today prepared to change your philosophy and your activity if you found out that you were out of step with God's Word? Today I find most people coming to church and, and they want to hear reaffirmed what they already believe. And if they do, they leave the church feeling good. But if they hear something that they don't like, they leave angry and feel anything but good. You see, the Holy Spirit visits us here with the hope that we will be able to listen to what he is saying and then be willing to change our hearts which in effect then change our minds, which in effect then change our lives, and we can go out of this place having taken the first step to be in tune with God. And if lives are not changed, then the Holy Spirit has visited us to no effect. Now change is difficult. It's difficult for preacher and for parishioner, and God knows that it's very difficult. That is why, you see, that God understands and is patient with us when we are slow to change. That is why, you see, God speaks to us through the heart first. You see, the Holy Spirit always speaks first to the heart, not to the mind, because he knows that if there's ever going to be any radical change, repentance, turning around, heading in the right way, it will come only after first our hearts are touched. Do you ever realize that the only thing that changes you is what changes your heart? Just take for example here what happened Friday morning in the Middle East. You know, they've been killing people over there, Jew and Arab, for, for hundreds and hundreds of years. And people have been killed in the last couple of weeks, but then on Friday morning, you see, Friday morning, a group of guerrillas shot a bazooka three times into a Jewish school bus. And eight little innocent children who were on their way to school died. Now, people died over there last week, and a lot of people couldn't care less. But when the word hit the states here and other nations throughout the world on Friday morning, We get messages. We get words of concern. And because little children had been hurt and killed, people's hearts were affected. 
And we find a lot of people in the world saying what they never said before. What can we do? The Holy Spirit always speaks first to the heart, because unless the heart is touched, the change will never be effective. Change can never take place until the heart decides it's going to take that one little step and turn around and get in step with God. Now, some of you here this very morning are feeling a tug at the heart. Your mind is finding all types of excuses not to follow. That tug, that little fleeting, that little flutter in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit is going to work in your life, you must respond to that tug of the heart. After that first worship service, ladies and gentlemen, that world in which we live was never the same after. 